0: Welcome back, listener, to another edition of the Coco and Daltz Podcast. Coco is laughing at me. Why are you laughing at me?
1: You have a very different approach to the intro than I do. Yes, I do.
0: Well, that's (laughs) what makes us distinct people. We are our separate and own people. And that's why I'm not adults And I'm not Coco. And you know what we do? We review movies where real people doing real reviews. Because I forgot to do that uh, last time. And then you put it on the end and because you're a nice person <laughs> and you didn't nag me about it. It's like, <laughs> you forgot to do the thing. So I did it
1: this time. Well, like you said, we're different people.
0: We are different people. Hey, Coco, what are we talking about in this episode of the podcast?
1: In this episode of the podcast, our 112th, if you're keeping score at home, or if you're alone, uh, (laughs) that's an old Letterman (laughs) joke. Sorry about that. (laughs) Uh, I miss you, Letterman. No kidding. So in the 112th episode of our podcast, we are talking about the HBO original documentary The Bee Gees. How can you mend a broken heart? It dropped on December 11th. So it's been about three weeks now. It obviously talks about the Bee Gees, which I'm not going to tell you who they are because (laughs) everybody in the freaking world knows the Bee Gees. Right. But it talks about their childhood in Australia, how they ended up in England, how, like, their musical background, how they ended up with a recording contract. Uh, all the way through their early years of their career, then kind of like a mid-career melees, and then at the end of their career, global superstardom, craziness Mm -hmm. with the Saturday Night Fever soundtrack, Mm -hmm. and then the slump after that when there was the disco backlash and how they kind of re-found their groove as songwriters for other artists. And, you know, it talked about their personal lives and stuff in there as well. And there was also a little bit there were interviews with other artists uh which i know we'll talk about but there were also interviews with like a professor of musicology i think from london and then uh, a house producer talking about kind of like the history of disco mm-hmm. and what led to the backlash against it and stuff like that and i thought those those segments were really interesting so mm-hmm. before we talk about what i think about this documentary adults what did you think about this
0: i loved it
1: you did not <laughs> Be quiet!
0: <laughs> I thought it was the best thing I've ever seen. No, I actually enjoyed it, um, but I didn't enjoy it as much as I thought I would. And I didn't. Th- I think that there were some things left on the table. So, for example, uh, there is no d- there is no uh, explanation whatsoever in terms of why they are called the Bee Gees, <laughs> right? Which is kind of a fundamental thing if you're going to do a profile <laughs> on a group. And it's not exactly the most important thing because some names are just thrown out there and some names are like record producers come up with the names and do a market study and all that sort of stuff. Um, But in this instance, it's kind of interesting because I had to look it up and, uh, well, the the crack research staff looked it up for me. I I don't want to take their credit. Um, But uh, there's this uh, belief that it was because Barry Gibb is one of the members. So they were called the Bee Gees because of Barry Gibb or because of Brothers Gibb. Apparently neither one of these are true. <laughs> and it's uh, because one of the first promoters that they had, his initials were BG, and then the guy that they uh, that they hired to uh, promote them uh, was also a BG, and then alongside Barry Gibb, they thought, well, there's three BGs
1: here, let's call them the BGs. And I always thought it was Brothers Gibb. Right. Like, yeah, so that was complete news to me when Dalts said, hey, look what our crack research team just handed me about why they're called the Bee Gees. Why wasn't this included in the documentary?
0: We were sitting at news desks like they do on Saturday Night Live and they're just, this just in, this right. research uh, paper. So there were a couple of things like that. It's it's a little bit on the puffy side. Like I think it's uh, a lot of uh, Bee Gees people were involved in the production yeah. and that sort of thing. So those always are a little bit softbally. But at the same time, I thought it was interesting because there was some very interesting stuff that I learned about them. I knew that they were kind of a skiffle band in the olden days and they were sort of like the beatles when the beatles were around um but i think there was a lot of information about that time that uh, i hadn't seen before and then also the the, the saturday night uh, fever album and the and the level of success and the sort of the unprecedented uh sales that it had that was sort of reinforced to me i i, I sort of knew a little bit about that because i was living in those days mm-hmm. but um it was a very, it was very interesting. And then seeing, you know, the, the rifts between the brothers, that was also interesting as well. So there's some, you think of the Bee Gees and you think of harmony, both in terms of their voices and in terms of them getting along. But of course, any group is going to have that kind of conflict, especially if you've been singing together since you were like wee laddies. Mm-hmm. So what did you think, Coco?
1: Yeah, that was, uh, I... I don't really know if I knew about the conflicts either. Um, some of the artist interviews that were included were Noel Gallagher and Nick Jonas of the Jonas Brothers. They were specifically talking about what it's like to be in a group with your family members. Yeah. And I I could listen to Noel Gallagher talk all day because I love Oasis. <laughs> I was and just going to say that. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I thought those uh, those interviews really added to it because mm-hmm. you've got the professional conflicts that also have family conflict undertones to them as well. Yep. So that, that I think that's something that, like, a lot of people don't really appreciate. Um, I had freaking no idea that the Bee Gees existed before disco. <laughs> like, I, I'm not going to lie. I love disco music. I understand it's disco music, mm-hmm. but it's fun. It's just something to listen yep. to when you're working out or when you're in the car mm-hmm. and it's not trying to be anything it's not it's just you know fun happy dance music so i love uh disco forever is one of my go-to playlists on spotify and i had (laughs) freaking no clue that the bgs had anything beyond disco um so this so everything pre like 1974 to me was brand new information Mm -hmm. um Yeah, some of their music was actually really good, and then some of it was just kind of like, eh, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever. Sort Um, of of
0: the time, though, too. I mean, they were saying at one point they made three albums in one year. I mean, you're making three albums in a year? That's not going to be gold music every time.
1: (laughs) Right, totally. And it did really kind of have that, like, early to mid-60s, like, laurel canyon kind of london pop vibe to it Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. i i was like wow this does not sound like you should be dancing at all (laughs) um very
0: folky and there was a lot of beatles influence and like you said like the you know the jefferson airplane and stuff Mm -hmm. like that
1: yeah so i i i enjoyed it because i never knew any of that stuff and when it was also talking about their sort of 80s and 90s resurgence as songwriters for other artists, mm-hmm. like, they wrote Islands in the Stream. Right? Who the hell knew that? Right. I always assumed that Dolly wrote that because Dolly writes everything, but I was like, what yeah. the actual F? Like, yeah. there was, apparently, yeah, they've written thousands of songs for other artists, so that was also also news to me because, you know, after Saturday Night Fever in the late 70s, I mean, in pop culture consci- consciousness broadly they just kind of dropped off at least here in the states yeah so well
0: and they did largely too like they they were they said that honestly on the documentary is that they couldn't get back on radio once the disco inferno burned out and they couldn't, uh, and nobody was buying disco record, you know, quote unquote disco record records anymore. They couldn't get back on the air, and so they just ended up writing songs for other people, which I thought was a really good idea. Really, they still had a lot of those songs. Like you could tell, there was a Dionne Warwick song that she was singing. It sounded like a Bee Gees song. Right, totally. Like she was singing it in her voice and her style and everything like that. But you could imagine the Bee Gees mm-hmm. singing
1: that song. Yeah, and a Barbra Streisand song as well. Right, like, and. Uh, they had a clip of them on, you know, like Tom Snyder or something. And he was right. like, Is it difficult to write, you know, for women? And they were like, No, like <laughs> it's, it's good. We're fine. Right. Like, you know, we just <laughs> kind do of a it. Stupid question. <laughs> right. <totally. laughs> so I, uh, I actually came out of this with a new appreciation for them because mm-hmm. I never knew any of that other stuff about them. I felt really bad for Barry Gibb. He's the mm-hmm. lone remaining brother. Um, Andy, Robin, and Morris all passed between 88 and, like, 2012. And, you know, at the end, he's like, yeah, we had our differences, but I would trade all our number one hits and all our career, you know, accolades and everything just to have them all back. And I'm like, yeah, I bet. Yeah. It was
0: kind of sad in that way because those guys, they didn't, especially Robin and Barry, didn't really get along all that well. And you could yeah. tell, like mm-hmm. it was very obvious after they mentioned that a couple of times in the documentary. And, and kudos to them for actually talking about this stuff. Because right. it's not easy, you know, airing your family laundry in public, right? Mm. Uh, and they did it as classily and 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 cagely as possible. But um, you could tell there's certain scenes where Barry they're all on stage together and there's the three of them right there and you can tell that Barry is not looking at Robin and Robin's Mm -hmm. not looking at Barry or they're looking past each other as they're doing these things and uh that was really insightful I I mean it's it's hard for me not to like a documentary about modern music Mm -hmm. it's got to be pretty awful for me not to like it and I like this one I again it was a little bit soft but really it was informative and you the whole idea of coming out of a documentary is you've got to learn something right you'd be entertained and you'd be informed and I think we were for this particular one.
1: Yeah, if there were a couple things I would change, um so it was an hour and like 45 50 minutes long. I definitely even though I realized this is a BG specific documentary and not a history of disco doc- documentary, I would have added an extra 10 or 15 minutes of those two guys I mentioned earlier talking about mm-hmm. the history of disco and this is how the backlash started and there was also uh they interviewed charlie steiner who was a dj at a new york radio station in the late 70s and he was talking about how it sucked because you know f- four songs out of like 10 that you would play in an hour were Bee Gees songs yep. and even if you didn't dislike the Bee Gees, you did if you were a dj because that's all you ever heard mm-hmm. so i would have been interested in hearing like more from those three guys right um and then also I mentioned the Noel Gallagher and Nick Jonas interviews which I definitely appreciate that they were included from the family, you know, aspect but there were also interviews with Uh, chris martin and justin timberlake Mm -hmm. and i didn't feel like those added anything to the documentary like i understand like maybe they want to get a a wide variety of artists talking about this is you know how the bgs influenced me or whatever Mm -hmm. but they weren't really doing that it was just jt saying like the bgs are freaking awesome man and you know and chris martin did have one uh clip where he was talking about how artists today know that the backlash is going to come but maybe artists back in the 60s and 70s backlashes weren't mm-hmm. as much of a thing because mm-hmm. rock so, and roll was new in yeah those days. yeah so but i was like i'm sure you could have gotten like noel gallagher mm-hmm. to talk about the backlash right. that oasis got after their first two albums were so massive so yeah. i was like you know i the chris martin and jt interviews didn't add anything whatsoever to me
0: yeah um, i agree with that i think that chris martin He's such an affable guy. Uh, and I think that his star power and, and the same with uh, J- Justin Timberlake, they wanted to include these guys and, you know, voices including Justin Timberlake and right. Chris Martin and mm-hmm. Noel Gallagher. But, yeah, you're right. I think Noel Gallagher, I, I could listen to him talk all day. About, oh, my God, me too. <laughs> about rock and roll and brothers <laughs> yeah. and everything like that because mm-hmm. he's so honest and he's mm-hmm. so smart that um, he just brings, a, he brings the unvarnished truth. And I really like that about him. But, yeah, it was – uh that was a little bit extra. Um, I think that the, the whole aspect of the, disco uh, blazing out, that part of it was really well handled and it was really creatively done because they juxtaposed a concert that the Bee Gees were having at the time with the infamous Comiskey <laughs> Park uh, burn, uh, burn your disco records, blow right. them up uh-huh. promotion that ended up getting a major league baseball game canceled, uh, forfeited. <laughs> um, so that I thought that was really well done and it was a little bit different. So that the I think the filmmakers really tried to do the best they could and they used... Archival footage from mm-hmm. the two deceased uh, members uh, of of the BGS, and to great effect. You know that they didn't just include things for the sake of including it. I thought it was pretty effective. They used uh, the the widows pretty well. Um, uh, so I think it was they did a really good job at trying to be as complete
1: as possible. Mm-hmm. And they even interviewed Eric Clapton, right? Because when the BGS first started going disco they stayed in the house that Clapton stayed at when he went to Miami yep. to like get his career back on track after his addiction so I was like oh my god you're interviewing Eric Clapton like and so that one I, I enjoyed as well right. like that was and he also introduced good.
0: them to a studio and a producer yeah, and uh-huh. like there's things that he helped with you know he says it jokingly at one time he's like I can take credit for all of this all of their success because right. it's, <laughs> because of that one recommendation I had um, yeah. but it was, really, it was really well done well yeah. rounded uh, and informative
1: produced and I believe directed by Frank Marshall yes so, yes I mean it's not Coco and Dalts doing a documentary on the Bee Gees and you know well, it's you can like, imagine how that would go right it's like the uh when George Lucas first mocked up Star Wars and you can see like the bad like <laughs> special effects that he did with like his camcorder at home and like the the opening scroll is like wavy across the screen <laughs> right. like that would be Coco and Dalts doing a documentary on the Bee Gees I
0: think you're giving us short shrift on that we would do a spectacular <laughs> job well it would just be essentially this podcast
1: right in video form (laughs) In video form netflix call us please do (laughs) so what uh what would you give beat the bgs how can you mend a broken heart so i'm
0: going to change my rating system because this is the new year Mm -hmm. and because it wasn't really working the old one i'm going to give this probably like uh seven out of ten
1: wow Okay.
0: seven out of ten really really complete but didn't go over the top you know yeah. it wasn't fantastic what, mm-hmm. what's your rating on this one coco
1: i'd give it a b yeah a b. solid b yeah a solid b yeah maybe a b plus if i'm feeling generous but definitely a b for sure
0: would you give it a b and a g
1: <laughs> b to the power of g b to the power of g <laughs> yeah that's
0: got that's already got my brain hurting thinking about algebra yeah me too well uh that's it for another edition of the podcast listener Unless you had something else to add, Coco.
1: No, that's it. Just uh, go find the BGS. How Can You Mend a Broken Heart on HBO Max.
0: And also go to CocoandDolls.com and click on the Contribute to the Podcast link. And then just what you should do is just put in the largest number you can type in and then just send it. <sighs>
1: We'd appreciate that. <laughs> I mean, we're making a whole lot of money from sponsorships and stuff, but right. you know, we can always use more. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, more, 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 as Andrea True said in a disco classic. Wow. Look I'm, at you. I told you I like disco.
0: So this is bringing it all back together again, so we should just end the podcast because you just completely encapsulated it.
1: All right. So for another episode, I'm not Daltz.
0: And I'm not Coco.